Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shihan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Shihan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Shihan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Hello and welcome to this next episode of Kuden. I am Eric White, joined by Jeffrey Miller. Thank you for joining us. Um, I don't know, can uh, can uh, Ninja ever be late? Hard to say. Uh, we <laughs> we start uh, the program a little late, but yeah. But if you're listening to this at a podcast, then we start whenever you decide to push push, push play. And uh, if you were live. If you're live in the program with us, well, you get to hear all the fun stuff even before we really start, so you were part of it already, so we weren't really late at all, <laughs> technically, <laughs> we were technically here. speaking. Nobody missed anything. Yeah, no, we had uh, having a fun little conversation, and maybe uh, maybe we'll kind of slot that in for an upcoming episode, kind of talk more about just travel in in Japan. Uh, you know, many students like to, to travel to Japan for training, but... Uh, and we've talked about that and training itself in Japan many times, but perhaps we need to just kind of break out and do something a little more just travel centric about uh, talking about get, getting around Japan, things to see and do. Uh, I don't know that we've ever really gotten on to that type of discussion about travel to Japan, so that might be good for an upcoming episode. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, by and large, I think most people go there. They post up, they eat locally, they see whatever's you know in that area because they're there for training. And that's fine, right? Um, but when I put one of these trips together, I promote it as a training trip, not to be confused with just going to Japan and going to the dojo or multiple dojos and training. I mean history, philosophy, all kinds of stuff, right? So we, we're we in temples, we're in shrines, and I don't just mean the local ones. I mean ones that are historically significant to what we do. Right? We're on Tsugashi Mountain. We're at museums. Uh, the last group I took, we went to this out-of-the-way place. That I mean, we took, before the show started, we talked about having to take trains and buses and all that. Um, we literally took a bus up to this little rinky-dink village where this uh, samurai family was based uh, that a new, uh, very, very popular, what well, was new then, uh, Japanese TV show centered around this uh, this. Uh, Samurai family uh, was based, right? And it's, you know, it's a new claim to fame. There's a brand new museum and all that. Uh, but they preserved uh, the dojo area, the uh, military arts academy area, which is very small, you know, by our comparison. But um, it allowed me to look at, at uh, architecture. It allowed me to look at, uh, you know, uh, get, literally get my feet on the ground and look at. Um, at this area, and uh, incidentally, I, I can't remember the, the name of the family at the moment, uh, but th- this is one of those families that, uh, it was a samurai family, but historically, they operated very ninja-like, like they carried sides a couple of times, um, and I think they maintained their samurai status uh, afterwards mm. because they happened to be on the winning side, they happened to be on the king's side, but I love doing things like that, I mean, you know, we're either in it, 
for, I don't know, to be this guy with moves that, you know, impresses everybody, or we really do want to study Jiu-Jitsu, Budo, whatever. I mean, so I get it when people say they study Budo, Taijutsu, or whatever. That's fine. I mean, that's that's what they do. Uh, but I'm a walking example, and so are you, whether we want to admit it or not, that we are getting older, and uh, what we look at as far as self-protection and the value that this art can offer, uh, you know, for success in life and all that, uh, it changes, right? I mean, it's we're, we're no yeah. longer twenty-something, you know, uh, young, dumb, and full of something that rhymes with that that I used to be used, used in the military. Um, uh, I can say because my daughter's in the car. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we're not those guys anymore. So, uh, you know, anyway, so more thing or other things have have value. And uh, I want to know how this stuff works. It's really to understand this. Um, we need to understand the mentality and the culture and the history, not how we think it should be because of our background and understanding and history and culture, but actually how it was developed, right? So uh, it's, it's important to, to get out there. So uh, expensive or not, I mean, it is. Uh, and I'm certainly not rich by any means. Uh, but it's important sometimes to just get your feet on the ground and uh, understand. That's one of the basic lessons for land navigation, right? One of the first lessons that you were taught uh, in survival training when we broke out the military maps and all that, uh, no matter how detailed they are, right, um, the map is not the location. Right? Yeah. And right. that's why you send out forward observers and you, uh, you know, whatever. You, you've got to put your feet on the ground and understand literally what the map is conveying. Because the map is the map's a code key. The map's an indicator, but it's not it's not the terrain. It's not the actual thing. Just like training, right? Training in the dojo is not a fight. No matter how realistic you try to make it, it's just not it. It's not the same. So yeah. uh Well, we got a number of things uh, to get to in this episode. Uh, we we have kind of the answer to the physics question you threw out uh, last week, and and uh, talking about uh, sword draw. So we'll get to that. Also, uh, kind of more uh, recently, got an email from Gianfranco um, that you know he was looking at kind of testing out or putting into application some of the things uh, we discussed on on previous uh, episodes of Kuden. And uh, But before we get to that, it came in like right at the tail end, I think, of last week's show. I wanted to quickly, because I think this is kind of a quick quick one that we can uh, touch on, or you can actually. Um, Josh had posted a question about <laughs> the whole ninja craze back in the 80s. He says, what do you think it was that started that? Was it movies or books? Martial arts magazines? What What do you think, um, you know, as you lived it, What what really solidified that in the 80s how what what exploded it at that time um i believe let's see um if i have this right um it was stephen hayes Hmm. so and then as soon as that caught on because you know i think that i think the world was was ready for the next thing right um because uh, historically, and even before I was old enough to know this stuff, I mean, um, the Asian martial arts, uh, you know, 
coming into the states and doing their thing really started in the 40s or 50s with the import of judo into the West. Um, and then, you know, so that was big for a while. And then it became karate. And then it became taekwondo. Right? So, uh, and in, in between the taekwondo, well, I don't know. I have to look at my dates and stuff. But then it was kung fu. And, you know, so, mm. uh, and, and you can watch, you can watch the history of movies, right? As mm-hmm. they moved around and did these things. Um, because, uh, you know, as, as the, the big thing came in, right, then there, um, there was this, uh, you know, whole fad and, and craze that wrapped around and stuff. So, anyway, um, let's see. So, what sparked Stephen Hayes' quest was a book called, um, what's it called? Um, it was by, um, oh, wow. Andrew Adams, um, Ninja Invisible Assassins, I think. And uh, so that sparked his journey to go to Japan the first time. Right? Um, so when we think about him going to Japan, learning all this stuff and bringing it back, introducing it to the Western world, that was, after, that was actually after his second trip. Right? So uh, during his second trip is when he uh, wrote and had published the... Um, uh, the Ninja and Their Secret Fighting Art. It's the first book that he put out by Tuttle, uh, which is a Japanese publisher. Um, his whole story wrapped around that, too, and how that kind of happened by accident, and he just, like, jumped on an opportunity, which far, far too few people do and then complain that they don't have any success, right? Mm. Um, but anyway, so, uh, yeah, he went and did and did those things and stuff, and uh, as that started happening, uh, and then he uh, tied, got tied in with uh, the O'Hara publishers, who were just jumping on all kinds of different martial arts. Um, that's where the, uh, the Ninja series came out. Um, and then, uh, you know, he was writing articles and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So uh, once that stuff started happening and the articles hit and, you know, the martial arts uh, magazines picked up on it, which was fairly quick. Um, then a group called Golem Globus, um, uh, who did a bunch of martial arts movies and all that, uh, grabbed the idea because, you know, there was, it, was, it was perfect, you know, all this mystery and, you know, the, it, was, it was perfect for the superhero genre because uh, you had this lone warrior, right, who was anonymous, uh, basically putting on a superhero costume and taking on, you know, a huge group you know, single-handedly, which the West loves, right? So uh, that's where uh, the first movie came out, which was they actually borrowed the name from uh, uh, Bruce Lee's uh, first movie in the West, right, which he really fought hard for because he was, uh, most of his stuff, no matter how how much he tried, uh, never left Hong Kong, right? Um, So, uh, but uh, they based it on, on his most, I, I, what I think is his most famous uh, thing here for the West, Enter the Dragon, so this movie was called Enter the Ninja. Well, as soon as that hit, everything, you know, exploded. So uh, a whole, uh, the, the, of course, there were articles that began, that he was pumping into, everything from Inside Kung Fu to Black Belt Magazine to all that stuff. Uh, Hatsumi Sensei 
and he convinced us me since I had to write some articles. Uh, they ended up in these places, and then uh, it wasn't Inside Kung Fu. They had little spin-off uh, special issues, but there was one uh, group that um, it might have been contemporary, but um, they produced a ninja magazine. Um, so uh, you know, of course. They did what most people still do today, anything branded Ninja, right? They jumped on because they needed information, they needed articles, they needed to sell magazines. So, uh, so it, it just, I mean, it, it rolled for quite a while. I mean, through the uh, early to mid-80s, um, peaking probably 86, 88, something like that. And then hmm. things started to wane because, uh, you know, the next thing was coming in. So, anyway, so, yeah, um uh, that that would be my my uh, my guess because I I lived through that and that's how I came to see these things. Um, so in fact, my introduction was through a TV series that came out that was then called The Masters. Really cheesy kind of thing. Uh, lasted for a season or two. Hmm. Um, and now you can find it. Uh, you can find the, the DVDs and things like that. Uh, but they're branded as the Master Ninja, right? Um, because the Master itself, I mean, that was, it came out during the, you know, either leading into or it helped contribute to the to the ninja boom of the 80s. Uh, but in today's world, just seeing, you know, the title Master and all that kind of stuff, um, I, I don't know if it, if it resonated well enough. So people started, they, they started tagging the, the word ninja on it because that's really what it was all about. Uh, but it was just your typical protagonist, antagonist, you know, but it really wrapped it, itself around the, the primary myth that, um, you know, ninja were all assassins and stuff, and here this Occidental guy got himself into uh, into this family and then found out he had a daughter, blah, 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 wanted to leave, they wouldn't let him leave. You know, tried to kill him, and that's the you know the whole premise through the whole thing. Hmm. Uh, hmm. But anyway, um, so there were there were all these things that just kept feeding the thing. But um, I really do believe it was um, uh, Hayes's not just his his first book or two because the first one was uh, the Ninja and the Secret Fighting Art, and then the second one was um, the first book in the O'Hara series. But it was the articles. Uh, some of those articles were actually excerpts from book one in the Ninja series. Uh, yeah. That would that would be my my answer based on my recollection as to living through it. So, because hmm. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to act more that way. <laughs> yes, act older. <sighs> yeah, okay. Like the old uh, <laughs> Japanese movies where they... The, the master is this old wizard with long, yeah, white hair and a long Fu Manchu uh, mustache, and you know, like the masks and stuff that we can buy and sell at some of the novelty stores in Japan. Yeah, remember those? You can, you can get uh, masks that are samurai top knots. You can get masks that are, um, you know, these these warrior wizard kind of characters that are in all these movies. And, yeah. Yeah, oh, they have all all sorts of fun stuff. So yeah, we want to get to uh, kind of the answer to this question you threw out on the last episode. There's kind of a physics thing you 
had uh, asked if anybody kind of knew what it was uh, in regards to this uh, drawing of a sword. Um, I don't believe anybody. I think Josh did, was, did anybody answer? Yeah, Josh? Josh, was the only, yeah Josh, was, Josh was the only one to venture a guess. Um, and it wasn't a bad guess. It just wasn't right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Josh's thing was the fact that you dropped your hips uh, during the draw and that how that would accelerate uh, and, and uh, aid in how the scabbard was moving. So you weren't just pulling the scabbard back with your arm. You were also dropping, which mm. sped up how fast the, um, the scabbard came off the sword. But my mm. question was about not just bringing the sword out, but in bringing the tip to bear for that initial first stab, that, that mm-hmm. first stalling stab. Right, so um, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What's the answer? Uh, I think what you're referencing is the, uh, the weight of the sword and how it aids your movement. Is, is that? Yeah. Well, now you're kind of where the, you were going, going with it. There you go. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the is the, the really long. You you covered this, right? The tuka's really yeah. long. The mm-hmm. tang runs the whole length of the uh, of the tuka. Because you have to have to right. remember, not just ninja swords, but um, the swords of, of several of our lineages, Tagagi Yoshin, Kuchishinden, Shinden Fudo, the sword itself, both in the scabbard and out, were um, very instrumental in actually doing uh, unarmed stuff, right? So like in Shinden Fudo Ryu, um, they don't use the term henka a lot. I mean, we can, but they don't use the term henka. They use the term waza when they mean a variation to a technique. But if you look at the kata, not the not just the conventional kata lists that are being passed around, but the um, kind of the expanded version um, of the kata from Shinden Turoryu, what you have um, is a primary example, and then you have uh, three uh, waza, okay? Waza just means action, but there are three additional ways to do the technique that maybe look like each other, but often they don't. They look completely different. Because Shinden Furoryu is based on and really highlights the principles and concepts, and then here you're basically given three or four examples of how that would show up, okay? Uh, and at least one of those, hank, or at least one of those waza, um, is done with the sword in the scabbard uh, in your belt. So it had to be strong enough to be able to execute throws, to be able to do locks and holds and not just strike somebody with the end of it and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the Kukishinden uh, techniques, right? Uh, the kata are very specific about what part of the, of the sword you're making contact with or you're using the throw or whatever. So if you look at a diagram of the Kukishin, or the, uh, sorry, the, the Tagagi Ocean Sword, I apologize, the Tagagi Ocean Sword, um, you will see way more uh, areas that are specifically named because hmm. those names will show up um, in kata, okay, hmm. based on leverage and strength and, and things like that, right? So, um, but anyway, we, we were talking about the fact that uh, the sword uh, is, um, is the, the blade itself is shorter, Therefore, you have less metal. Um, 
pardon the beeping, there's a call that's trying to come in on me, and uh, I'm not going to answer it. But anyway, um, so there's um, right where there's less metal, right? So the blade itself is, is shorter, it's lighter, and all that. But it doesn't change the and, and then on top of that, the tsuka matched the length of the handles of a lot of these swords of the time, right? So it could be disguised in the scabbard. So that also means then, and anybody that does knife or tomahawk throwing or anything like that uh, knows that the first thing you want to find is the balance point, right? Because that's going to determine how you throw it, how it turns over itself, that kind of thing, right? So what you have now, the ninja toe, the handle, the tsuka, is heavier than the blade itself. So uh, when you draw it, the weight of the handle actually, you, you don't have to, you don't have to use as much force to get the blade flipped over, right? Yeah. Uh, the hand, the weight of the handle is there to help, right? So again, here's one of those things that for a lot of people, what you don't know, you don't know, um, can kind of cripple your your not just your ability, but uh, it can slow or uh, limit your uh, your degree of success. Right. Uh, but there are other techniques that, that work this way, too. You and I were talking about that, right? Um, you remember using this principle of um, of this counterbalance, right, this counterbalance uh, idea. But this isn't just in drawing, right? Um, and this is very difficult to, to duplicate with a bokeh. Uh, but yeah. once you know it's happening, then you can you can simulate it with a bokeh by doing your own little weight shift, right? Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I actually have yeah. to, to uh, handle something here for a quick minute, uh, but you want to you want to explain that whole uh, use of the sword or the weapon or whatever to help with your taijutsu or the ease of your movement. Yeah, I think uh, you're you're talking about kind of the dipping dipping the tip uh, in particular to kind of aid in the first step or step to the outside. Um, yeah, so I you want to explain that a couple being of one of one of them. So, yeah, so yeah. Uh, one of them being and and you know um, you know Mr. Miller's referencing kind of using a boken and it doesn't quite give you the same one one trick you can do. <laughs> I played around with this is is if you have a boken is. Um, you can you can flip it around backwards. Spoken tend to have a little bit more weight at the handle than than they do with the rest of the blade because it's kind of shaved down to be shaped like a sword. So you could even try flipping <laughs> flipping around, hold on to the hold on to the end of the boken that would normally be considered the the tip of the sword to give it a little more weight on the end. But when you're working with the actual blade and you're standing in kind of uh, regular what would be like an ichimonji style uh, kamai with the sword. Uh, and this initial first movement or step to the outside be kind of stepping to your right, if you would, letting that sword tip uh, fall away to the outside right also aids in shifting your weight and your balance line that direction. So uh, it aids in freeing up your feet and allowing you to, to take that step uh, with greater ease. And then, you know, oftentimes that, sh that blade gets shifted back around to be brought to bear, uh, but just kind of one of these subtle things is that move comes in, uh, the blade falling away, which also helps open up that, that window of uh, initial attack or, or giving your opponent the idea that here's a, here's a, here's a window or opening, um, almost as if 
oh, the blade's getting really heavy or you're inexperienced and not knowing how to hold this quite right and you're just kind of lazily letting it drift to the outside, but it's it's kind of preloading that step for you to to shift to the outside uh, when that, that strike comes in from your opponent. So that's that's kind of the one that comes to mind first that I recall and you can play yeah. around with. And so again, the, yeah. Yeah, so the key to this is in understanding that uh, we're very adept. I mean, subconsciously and unconsciously, our body corrects for balance shifts very quickly and very easily, so much so that you don't even know it, unless your balance is tipped uh, beyond a comfort point, right? And you actually feel yourself going, and then you can feel yourself stiffening up and catching yourself and all that. But we're bipeds, right? So we're in a constant state of shifting balance. So that's a good thing, and it can be that it can also be debilitating, right? Because if you get a little inebriated or whatever, then, you know, um, you don't have a third, a three-stool third leg to kind of uh, keep you from falling over. But if you know this, and I don't just mean know it intellectually, if you know it and know that that's, that's uh, how we move, right, that we're in a constant state of shifting balance, then you can now use this as a tool, right? So one of the first things you have to do, one of the first phases here, is you have to experiment with the this idea that your your body shifts or that, you know, um, uh, well, I guess the first thing you need to do is learn how to stand in Shizen properly where the building blocks are stacked and grab, you can feel gravity pulling your head to your shoulders, your torso onto your hips, your hips onto your legs, your legs onto your feet, and things feel feel heavy, right? You feel centered. So much so that if you lifted, if you kept your hand at your side, but you lifted your right elbow out and to the right, you should fall off balance directly to your right because you just took your arm away from center and took the weight of your arm and put it out to your right. So until you become sensitive to this, right, and this is like kind of the next stage, when you do that, what you want to feel for is the muscles on the left side of your body firing to not let you fall over sideways. And your your balance actually breaks uh, faster front back. So you could do the same thing by just lifting an arm up into the front, right? Because when you're standing in Shizen, all of your weight, everything is centered straight on that vertical line, okay? Everything arms, legs, head, everything, right? If you drop your head forward, right, like your balance, right, if you just drop your head forward, muscles on the posterior part of your body, legs, back, all that, have to fire to keep you from falling over on your forehead, okay? So, but there's still a weight shift. It's about a seven-pound weight shift off-center when you drop your head forward. But we become very adept from the time we learned how to walk and not fall over, um, at countering these things, okay? So what we're doing is we're, we're uh, allowing the weight of the weapon by shifting it to a specific position, which just so happens to be the direction that we want to be stepping for the first move or for that next move that the kata says we're doing. We shift weight. Now, once you get really adept at this, you don't need weapons to do it. 
once you can feel it with your body, you can then start moving your arm around or your leg, or you can you can put your body in a position where the balance would fall in a given direction when you pick up your foot, but he can't see it yet. So you're literally preloading yourself where gravity is going to help you move, do that first move faster. And then once you get that, then you can actually employ this with every move. But you use the weapon and you put it on the line, right, so that the pull of the weapon with gravity is actually pulling in the direction that you want to step, right? And we're talking swords, but it could be anything. It could be a jitte, it could be a spear, it could be a push broom, whatever, right? And that way, all you now need to do is pick up your foot, and your body will literally be falling in that direction. So whatever you do with your normal motor mechanics, to move in that direction is now assisted and you actually get there quicker, right? So it's not this, this, this physics thing just isn't or isn't just for the sword draw and bringing the tip to bear faster. This is something that can be used in many different ways uh, and, you know, to help you move move your entire body in given directions, right? So uh, maybe this time around, unless you're still like the video guy, um, I can pull out a camera and show something like this Yeah. another video clip uh, that would help folks. But, uh, yeah, so. Uh, and I think we still have uh, one put together that we've, we've got to get out yet uh, that, that kind of shows and illustrates a little more of the differences of the Tokakaryu-style sword. Uh, I don't think right, we've, we we've do. posted You're that one right. yet. And, and it touches on a few of these other things. But, yeah, not, not this idea of shifting around. So that would be great. Right. Yeah. And again, these are those hidden things because, you know, we're doing it in a way that the bad guy doesn't know what's happening. Right. So yeah. here's the thing. Right. We have to remember that as students, when we watch a teacher demonstrate something, we're supposed to be learning what's really happening, which means we have to go beyond what our eyes see because what our eyes see is what the bad guy should see. And the bad guy should never see the secret move or the the hidden mm-hmm. aspect of it or whatever, because mm-hmm. if he can see it, he can prep for it, right? So we have to be careful, right? This is needed to. So I, I, I keep repeating myself. I, I, to me, I sound <laughs> like a broken record. but um, So we have to be careful, right, that you know, if we just take a technique that we see at face value and we don't understand the principles and concepts that are making that technique work, or that are lying behind it that actually catch the the opponent, then we're missing the very thing that makes it work. Kind of like, you know, we see a car, and, you know, we've heard a car, right? You know, maybe we're turned on by a sports car or whatever, right? Loud, yeah. and it's, you know, really gets our testosterone going, and it's sharp looking at everything. So we go buy a car, and we drive it a couple miles down the road, it just, stops working and you know so we go through the motions right we turn the key we pump the pedals we turn the wheel we lift the hood we stare at parts we don't know what they do or whatever um but we in in this instance or with this analogy right we didn't know that there was something in a fuel tank that had to be replenished on a regular basis to (laughs) make the car go Right? And I know how lots of people would go, well, duh, everybody knows about gas. Well, from my perspective, I could just as easily look at students 
who don't need to know these principles and go, well, duh, there's things that make the technique work. How could you not know that? Yeah. Well, that, see, that's why teachers are much more forgiving, at least good ones anyway, because they're like a parent who's exposing things to three-year-olds, six-year-olds, or whatever, right? Um, mm. And we know that some people take longer to pick up on a lesson than others because you have to mature. Your your level of knowledge and understanding and, and you know, what you're aware of in the world and all that um, has, to, has to mature, right? So you can ask a question. Lots of people ask questions, and I smile, right? And I'll give them an answer, just like I gave my kids answers. I'm sure you answered questions for your son. Um, and you just know that... You know, you you could say, well, you're too young to understand. I'll explain it later, right? And there might be touchy topics that you do that. But for the most part, if you do that, what it does is it fuels the child's uh, nature for, to just keep asking, why, yeah. why, why, whatever, right? <laughs> I find what yeah. cuts that to the quick is I'll just answer the question. And because one of two things will happen. One, if they understand, they will go away and practice and assimilate that, and they're not going to ask me again. Or if they do ask, it's going to be a question that's based on their experimentation with that thing as their level of understanding increases. So the question changes. Okay, great. Or it's not going to register at all, and yeah. they're going to go away. And later on, when it comes up again or – they bump into something that makes them question something or whatever, they'll come back with a question. They'll come back with the same question. They'll ask again, but later. And it mm. won't have the same kind of imperative frequency as when you just say you're, you're not old enough to understand or you're too young or you're not ready for that yet, right? Yeah. So I do the same thing with students. You ask me a question, mm. I'll give you an answer. Um, and I know if you understand it, great it'll immediately start to become apparent and it'll be reflected in the nature of your follow-up questions. It'll be reflected in your movement, all that. If you don't understand, you'll go away because you will have hit a wall and, you know, you'll, for most people, they'll have to admit that either, they'll have to admit that they don't understand and so they'll start dancing around with other things. Uh, and the question will change. Or, for a lot of students, shame, guilt, pride, whatever, will cause them to go away and not ask again because they don't want to have to admit that they didn't understand the answer. Hmm. Right? So it, it, there's this whole thing that goes on with the psychology that uh, to, to kind of preempt Giancarlo or Gianfranco's uh, uh, follow-up email uh, that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, the, understanding these things um, act just greatly affects your ability to produce results when it comes to dealing with people and getting people to do what you want or what you know they should. Okay? And I'm guilty of violating these things, uh, especially when it comes to my own kids, um, <laughs> uh, often. You know, not like forever. Uh, but I, I do find that... Uh, especially since my, my stepson has a, uh, what I call a contrarian uh, personality disorder. He's an oppositional mm. kind of thing. He, he was diagnosed when he was young with having ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder, which means whatever comes out of your mouth 
he's going to automatically go ah. to the opposite thing. So, um, yeah. So um, what I'll do is um, now I just agree with him. Or I'll tell him, yeah, go ahead and do that. That's fine. You know? And then he starts looking at me like, hmm, okay. What is it that I don't know? I don't know. Uh, right? So he asks the question, what is it that I don't know? I don't know. Which is important when you're dealing with somebody who's um, narcissistic or they have an oppositional defiant disorder or just an oppositional personality disorder. Um, when you're dealing with a person like that, uh, you know, no matter how much you try to convince them, force them, or whatever, they're automatically going to go to the opposite thing. So understanding that and being willing to change the way you approach the problem, right, using their desire, need, weakness, whatever you want to call it, um, helps to set things up, right? So when I, as soon as I know that I'm dealing with somebody who has an oppositional personality disorder, or they have ODD or whatever, right? Uh, instead of trying to, you know, convince them, right? Um, I, you know, whatever that, that this is this is the better way or whatever, and using the yeah but logic and all that. Um, the first words out of my mouth are, uh, "You're probably going to disagree with me, or you're probably not going to like what I have to say." But, and then I say the thing that I want them to do. Now, most people who are logical, right, don't understand why they would still do this thing that I want them to do because they're oppositional. But they're not going to default to that. They're going to be oppositional most of the time. They're going to be oppositional with the fact that I said you're not going to agree with this or you're not going to like what I had to say. So I lead with that instead of the thing I want them to do. So their oppositional nature will flip it, and they're more likely to do what I want them to do because I yeah. led with telling them they're not. So I have this, you know, understanding the psychology and motivating people um, is not just about, uh, you know, working with their weaknesses, working with their, their, uh, their needs or desires, uh, but it's also an understanding how – different personality types process things. You know, yeah. one of the 16 identifiable uh, personality types, um, very, very high-functioning, A personality, uh, you know, they're, um, they are, uh, what do you call them? They're um, very success-oriented and things like that, right? But this one has a paranoia streak. So they can get in their own way because they're afraid that other people are out to get them hmm. or will sabotage them before they even get started and all that. Where there's other personality types that are heavy on paranoia and will shoot themselves in the foot before they even get started because they're just sure that other people are going to stop them or the man's out to get them or fill in the blank privilege or whatever, right? Um, this personality type is just the opposite and you would think that they wouldn't care or whatever, but They've got a they've got a percentage of paranoia in there, so that can be either used to bring them down, or it can be used very specifically um, to bolster them and to get them to move forward. Hmm. But you have to understand which things they're more afraid of, so that that is the trigger that moves them forward 
because if you pick the wrong one, it feeds the paranoia and shuts them down. Hmm. Sorry, hmm. And, and this is an apology to Josh. Those are way in the layman's terms, <laughs> based on my understanding. If uh, if I'm wrong, Josh can come back in because Josh is in the psych field, so uh, he can come back and tell me that I'm full of it and all that. But um, I don't think so. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it does really kind of blend into this next part of getting into Gianfranco's question to you, which kind of is a follow up from last week and where. We discussed a little bit about, um, you know, influencing events. You know, we very much talked about kind of that in the outward nature and in terms of kind of the historical, you know, way in which warfare may have gone. But um, digging a little deeper, he took some of those lessons and tried to work on, you know, kind of identifying that, that chain of cause and effects. And, and he, he talked a little bit, I think, about where he works or his work, his week in general and just giving some thought to how oh, yeah, getting things, things would play yeah. out and how, how he could get them done. And so he went through this kind of exercise in his head of seeing, you know, all the outcomes and what would need to happen to make those happen, which is a great exercise. I love that he did that. But then, you know, he kind of pointed yeah. out that um, people were more tricky and affecting them requires a bit more skill that he, he needs to train up more on. But I think you're you're really getting to that at this point, and, and it kind of makes me think of why – um, you know, the, the, the Mikio side of training, I think is so valuable because learning about things like the, the six realms and all the different personality types that, you know, that was really kind of, I think the, the way in which historically those things were learned about how different people function and personality types before there was some kind of, you know, psychology as we know it today that, you could look at the mandala and you could look at some of those different things and figure out how people operated and where they were at to allow you to kind of see how people would play out and how they, you know, needed to be affected or, or what they might do, uh, depending on how, how their behavior or their personality types were. So, um, I think we're already kind of blending into answering his question. Well, and one of the first lessons that I was taught, um, in regards to this realm, um, really had to do with diving into the first area of study in Togakureyu, which was the Seishin Teki, right? The personal clarity, right? Yeah. Um, the personal development stuff, right? Because the more you understand, and this is a first level, because again, the way we've grown ourselves or, uh, uh, you know, created ourselves, right? Um, and I know that's going to rub some people the wrong way, but that's okay. Just hang up or don't ever listen to another Kudan podcast again. But anyway, the way we've brought ourselves to this point, right, and the, the me that I think I am, or the we, for any of us, right, the I that I think I am, um, uh, is only one type, right? If we were going off the, 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 uh, the, the Buddhist or the Mikyo six realms, we would say it's only one of six personality types. Uh, in well, at least the, the last that I looked at, uh, and I'm sh- there are all kinds of subcategories, but there are like these 16 or whatever different personality types, right? So, um, and these things are all forged and, and uh, uh, created and, and whatever, right? Uh, based on uh, prior education, both from outside, both formal and informal, uh, uh, our own self-learning, right? experiences, the way we've um, 
the way we decided to catalog those experience, all kinds of things, right? There's all this stuff that's in there. Uh, belief systems that we've borrowed, invented, right, inherited, just all this stuff, right? So, um, but that being said, understanding how others work, or I'm sorry, how understanding how we work, what motivates us to do things, what uh, what causes us to reach out and either grab that thing because, oh, that's awesome, or ignore it or avoid it, right? All those things. Understanding how we make choices and how we do things and what motivates us and all that is a huge, huge first step and a, and a very important first necessary step in being able to do this with other people, right? Because you're with you all the time. You 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 have you have the the scientist's eyes and the petri dish or the the object of study with you 24/7. So yeah. why not start there, right? Um, then you can start to draw comparisons um, with those people that are like you, kind of like you, mm, a little like you. Um, kind of maybe sometimes like you, uh, not like you a lot. Um, certain parts of them are kind of in the direction of, of the way you do things and not like you at all, okay? Uh, and then you can explore these other things, right? So um, the other thing I did was I looked at the world of the martial arts because I was heavily into that at the time. And so I looked at uh, personality types when it came to, like, instructors, right? Hmm. And you had these people that, uh, you know, were very humble, and so they kind of shared information. If they were asked, um, maybe sometimes there were ones that, uh, you know, operated in many, many different ways, including the ones who absolutely needed to be that guy because of other lacks in their life, right? The only place that he can't control was in the dojo or in their training group, right? Because they, they hated their wife, they hated their family, they hated their job, whatever. But within those four walls or in that park on Saturday morning or whatever, they, all eyes were on them and they got to be the guy or the hmm. girl, right? Um, uh, there were ones that wouldn't put in the time, effort, or whatever, and it was just easier to be the charlatan and blow, blow smoke up people's butts and, you know, try to find those people who needed the fantasy to be real so they controlled the fantasy, right? Um, uh, there were the power-hungry ones, the ones that uh, were ignorant but didn't know they were ignorant, whatever, right? And then by looking at that, then I could see that, well, you know what? There are priests and ministers and whatever in the same category. There are teachers of all kind in the same category. There are CEOs, there were fathers, mothers, and all that in the same categories, right? So, hmm. yeah. See how that see how that broadens out. It wasn't right. just about the martial arts. This is about people, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you can just you can keep going with that. Um, I'm I'm sure you remember there were lots of times that after class we would go, you know, the the seniors would either sit around for tea or whatever, or we uh, we go do a special thing. We go to dinner or whatever, right? Yeah. Or doing seminars, right? Everybody mm -hmm. goes to the same place for lunch. 
and we sit mm-hmm. around. And often these are the topics that come up um, because this is just as important as the physical stuff that we're working on, if not more so, right, uh, the physical stuff that we're working on during the seminar itself because we're looking at making our life easier, being able to produce results, being able to protect ourselves against attackers, and not everybody's going to attack you with a blade. They'll attack your heart. They'll attack your head. They'll attack your your belief system. They'll attack your motivations. There's all kinds of things, right? So, um, and while, you know, a lot of people, me included, sometimes think it'd be great if we'd live back in ancient Japan, and some of these people who do things and harm people, that there are no laws in place to protect or to punish them um, mm. for doing those things, right? It would just be great if we could just, you know, hack their head off and go about go about life. Um people would be a whole lot more respectful that way. But there isn't. So we've got yeah. to come up with other things from this art to be able to protect ourselves. And this also, also this self-exploration um, is also going to humble us, right, and make us less judgmental toward other people's erroneous views or whatever because we're going to, we're going to realize that now and many times in the past, we had stuff that was just as erroneous, if not flat-out, hilariously stupid and nobody killed us for it right and somehow we got through it um so it allows us to be a little bit more understanding and um uh just you know it um it'll also help us fix those things that we realize because we have to come face to face with the fact that if we really knew all that we think we know and we really had all the answers that we try to make other people think we have our lives would not be the way they are, and we mm. wouldn't have the kind of crap that we're dealing with, right? Because we also generate that as well. And even if we don't bring it into being, we attract those kind of people that bring that kind of stuff with them, and we don't establish paradigms and um, uh, checks and balances and things like that that, that deter, prevent, or... Um, you know, handle the people that that bring that stuff, right? So, uh, you know, we have to face the fact that, you know, if we're dealing with shit, then we're the shit magnet, right? And it's not yeah. that that'll make all bad things go away, right? But if we're surrounded by the kind of people routinely that we don't want to be around and they're energy suckers and all that, we have to recognize that those people are attracted to us because there's things that we do and there's things that we operate like and all that that are attractive to them and it's often not power it's they see themselves and they see that you fit into their comfort zone right yeah Um, if we can't if we can't get uh friendships or you know associations or partnerships or whatever with certain types of people that we really want to connect with because they have the kind of power they gain the kind of results or you know, they're of a, a level of class or whatever you want to call it, right, that we want to really be around, um, we have to recognize that there's certain things about us. Now, we could take one of two views, right? One view is, fuck them. They don't like me the way I am, then I don't want to be around them. But aren't you cutting off a resource that you thought you wanted and that would elevate your status or your knowledge or whatever because yeah. you're not the kind of person that they want to hang out with, right? Does this mean you need to sell out on yourself? 
No, it means that you need to recognize that you're more than just that thing, and there's many different aspects of you. And when you're around those people, since that's what they quote-unquote need, then wouldn't it be a good idea to be more like a chameleon where you can bring that part of yourself forward? So, see, I'm not being disingenuous. I'm not being not authentic or whatever. I'm simply shifting a certain part of myself forward. Like when we go to church, we do it all the time. When we Hmm. want something from someone, don't we bring certain aspects forward to schmooze with them or convince them that, of course. See, it's very easy for ego to dismiss this when it's doing it for its own benefit Hmm. and then hammering the other person when it can't do it or won't do it to get success or results when the other person needs it. Right. right. So, again, this is all part of the personal clarity stuff, right? So, um, but uh, yeah, this stuff goes way deep. And uh, Jeff Franco's uh, email did point to the fact that he just needed more study with it and all that. I highlighted that we already have. Uh, I highlighted one program uh, for this, which is the um, uh, the Ninja Motivation and Influence program that I actually did as a live program. Like, Jesus, I look at the da- I looked at the date on it when I first promoted it. It was done a year ago or two years ago two years ago, right? And so I'm uh, offering it out again uh, as a standalone program. It won't be live, but you'll, you'll still have access to be able to answer or ask questions and, you know, uh, you know do email coaching and all that kind of stuff. Um, but that's there, right? We have the Ninja Mind program, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We have one for the people who really want to dive into the stuff uh, and lay a foundation for later Mikyo training. We have one called the uh, First Seven Steps on the Path of a Buddha, um, we have the, what do we have? The, um, uh, shit. the 13 Buddhas and Bodhisattvas course, which is the, uh, you really need the prerequisite for that one because that mm-hmm. one in and of itself mm-hmm. is a prerequisite for, prerequisite for things. But anyway, we have these things for people that want to, you know, that really do want to produce results more than just feeling like the tough guy and being able to protect themselves and their family from the possibility or likelihood of a physical attack, meanwhile dismissing daily, weekly, yeah. monthly, how many psychological and emotional attacks and how much of that kind of conflict they're dealing with on a regular basis or how much, you know, they're, they're spinning their wheels producing success or trying to produce success and becoming more bitter, becoming more disheartened, becoming more, uh, you know, uh, accepting of their lot in life or whatever it is, right, because they're missing so many of these other lessons, like the leverage thing with the sword, right, like the yeah. like all these little things that, you know, um, the, the, all the lessons we didn't get the first time around, that if we don't do something for ourselves to get it and – endure the challenges, heartache, and pain and difficulty of making the changes, because a lot of those lessons will aggravate you, they will challenge you, they will uh, they'll piss you off, um, <laughs> they'll make you want to quit, uh, they could yeah. make you cry, whatever, right? You know, you've been through a lot of this stuff, right? Um, yep. Yep. They have to be able to endure that, right? Um, but what, really, what it really comes down to is they have to want it badly enough. They have to want that 
future them who is truly that warrior philosopher that Hatsumi Sensei is, is presenting to us. They have to want that so badly that staying where they are or not getting it is way worse than the heartache and the challenge and all that of, of the process of getting there, right? Now, I'll use the sword analogy again. Um, you know, that metal has to be superheated and pounded on and scraped and all that to turn into this thing that makes us just drool when we see it, right? But how much, how much uh, you know, uh, aggression and, um, and uh, uh, you know, uh, what would you call it? What, what people would normally call or think of as negativity, right? How much yeah. of that goes into the production of this piece of art that is lethal, hmm. right? Um, so, but, you know, it, the, this is often used as an analogy for, for us getting to be this new person, right? If you really, if you really don't want people to be them and, you know, if you want equal, equal outcome, right? We're all supposed hmm. to be the same, right? My background shouldn't matter, uh, you know, we should all get the same thing. Um, that really just dances around the fact that, um, and I'm going to be real, real blunt here, it dances around the fact that you want to be lazy, you want things handed to you, you want a magic pill rather than doing the work because mastery comes from effort and a specific amount of effort more than anybody else is willing to put into it. So everybody mm. has equal opportunity outcome is personal right? right and so you know it goes right back to the choice you want equal outcome you could come across as the as the the master without having to do the work but the what you really have done is you become a charlatan so um, i'll tell you the same thing i tell my kids if that's the rules you want to play play from or that's the rule book you want to work with then great then the rest of us can be charlatans too, and we'll screw you over at every moment. So we'll play by the same rules that your self-imposed or self-determined godlike ego has determined the rule book should be. And I know there's lots of people out there screaming, right? You don't understand. You don't understand my condition. You don't, Yeah, you're absolutely right. All these years of study, I don't understand anything. I don't know why the hell you're listening to me. So, <laughs> so there's that as well, right? So, um, you know. But we're attracted to power, or we're attracted to what we perceive to be power. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, you're smart enough to, to look into it and see who's producing results and who isn't. So, um, but the question is, is have, are you able to produce the same results? Because if you are, then you're a peer of those people that are producing results. If you're not, then you're a student and you look up to them. So mm. do the work. Do the same work that they did. As a matter of fact, I'll challenge you one more. Do more work than we did. Because I know there were lots of times that I slacked off, and there's times that I still slack off. There's lots of room for you to be way better than me. Right? But to do that, you have to start off by doing at least the amount of work I do or the amount of work that Eric does. Until then, you don't have a chance in hell of being the same thing, let alone better. But I know that there's most of the listeners, most, have the ability to be way better than me because I'm not getting any younger. My knees aren't liking me any better from day to day, right? 
and I I get sidetracked a lot. Right? That's just being completely transparent. So anyway, what do you yeah. have to throw on top of that fire? You let me do all the talking. You're so good at it. You're so good at it. Um, yeah, well. And then I go home at the end of the day, and my wife says, you don't talk. I freaking talk for a living. I teach all the time. I'd like to go home and not hear the sound of my own voice. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really have much more to throw into. I think that's pretty well said. <laughs> I don't, uh, well, I don't I, really I, have I, anything to toss on top of that. Well, um, I think you have an email, or not an email, but a URL to put out for the Ninja Motivation and Influence program. I do. That would, uh, for people that are interested in the direction of, you know, getting other people to do things, but I will toss in something for that, that when I did this program live, 80% of the the, the small group that I, I took in to do this program, 80% of them went through the course to use these principles on themselves not on other people. How about that? Hmm. Yeah. So you will hear me discussing that a lot in the program because the surface level, you know, the title and all that and the way the, the way the original write-up was done was, you know, I'd like to be able to get people to do whatever you want, right? which is a huge allure for the ego, right? And then the guys that got into it, 80% of them were using the, their assignment was them, right? So pretty cool. But it you know, can go either way, right? Um, and I am going to be putting a, a program here together uh, very soon. I'm going to be taking a very, very small group of people, and the the, the program uh, is is going to be based on the Ninja Mind program, but I'm going to do it again as a live program. So they'll get the old recordings of the of the, the original program, uh, but but um, I'm updating this thing uh, because I'm way different and know much more now and all that. Uh, but we're going to be we're going to be doing that as a live interactive uh, program once a week, uh, live call, uh, recordings and all that, assignments, those kind of things, um, so that you will be producing results if you are working the program. Okay, uh, so uh, we'll we'll release information about that um, as I start putting it together uh, over the next week or two. Uh, and uh, but it would be very very helpful. Um, if uh, people started letting me know um, now that they're interested. And to help with that, um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to it over the weekend, but um, by early next week I will have the application up that people will have to go through a first-level application process um, to be considered for the program. This will not be done like my previous programs. I'm getting mm. too old for that shit where people just, you know, they say they want to do it or they enroll into the program and then they try to blame me because they're not getting any traction or whatever. Um, I'm just teaching you what, not only what I was taught, but what produced results for me. So I don't know how you can't get traction, right? So um, the first stage, the first stage will be uh, people have to apply to be a part of the program, and then after that, then they can decide whether, you know, they fulfill the prerequisites. They're willing to. Pay me for my time. They're willing to actually do what they need to do. And I can already feel in the cosmos heart <laughs> sinking because Sensei mentioned there's a cost to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm not picking berries off of bushes, living in a in a uh, debris shelter on top of a mountain, barely subsisting, and you get to bring me alms every day, uh, and that's what I eat. Uh, I have to support a family. Yes, absolutely. I have to pay for I have to pay for all the services, including this one that everybody expects that they're getting for free. Just because the price tag is free doesn't mean it was free for me, right? So. Um, maybe maybe we should try that model just just to test out to see who actually would show up. You know, we'll, we'll dedicate like a, a week of time to just camp out on a mountaintop somewhere, and we'll give out free training for those of you who make it to the mountaintop and and show up for dude, it. Dude, just stop now, right? Because <laughs> the last thirty five, thirty six years, one thing that has become very very evident, and this has been through testing, uh, raising rates, lowering rates. Uh, lowering standards, raising standards, and all that, is that those who have paid the least, including free, engage the least and complain the most and quit the quickest. And those yeah. who have paid the most complain the least, engage the most, and produce the most results for themselves. Yeah. Just value for value, right? If it, me- if it's, if it costs you nothing then quitting is easy, and it didn't cost you anything. When the consequences are high, people put their heart into it because they're going to lose a lot if they just don't do anything. You're going to lose a lot more than just not accomplishing the goal, which is why that old Chinese adage is there from that one general. Um, I, I saw in the commentary on the, on the Art of War at one point, which was uh, burn your ships. Right? Mm. They mm-hmm. they needed to conquer the other land. As soon as they landed in the other country and there was an ocean between them and home, the general burned the ships. Now, succeed or die trying. There is no the cost of failure is death. There is no going back home and having a do over. There is no retreat. You're deep in enemy territory. You're you either win or not. So my suggestion to people, if you really want to have a ninja or warrior's attitude, burn your ships. Give yourself nothing to go back to. How about that? <laughs> How about that? All right. Anyway. That, that brings uh, us to about the end of our time before we get uh, I think cut so. off. And I think so. take a look Oh, here. I don't want to be cut off. I'm still functional. <laughs> <laughs> one of those enjoyments uh, of life and staying vibrant and not acting like my age that's right I don't see any questions on the webcast side and we do have some folks here I'm going to open up this uh... okay oh my God, close that back that? out that was a terrible noise I don't know that was <laughs> Walt Washington in Philadelphia um, strange oh, noise right. well Walt knock that off I don't know what that is it's really weird, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of at the end of our time period here. But I think no uh, questions, you can no watch. Comments. Yeah, and and you, I was going to say you can watch the uh, Kuden podcast uh, page on Facebook for you know yeah. more videos that are coming out. Uh, again, we have one that uh, I kind of showcase some of the differences that uh, we talked about last episode and this episode too of the Togakarayu sword, kind of the key features of it that people don't n- normally know about or see. Uh, plus, and I'm sure that's up uh, on the server. I just dropped the ball and didn't get it posted. Yeah, I think I think we needed to kind of ha- add our, our front and back to that one yet, and then it'll then it'll get 
put up there, but um, I did repost yeah. today. Uh, if you checked uh, the Facebook page, we did repost the one that uh, talks about drawing from behind the back because uh, initially when that got out, the, the video wasn't working for everybody, but it's up now. And also, if you look at the Kudem podcast page, uh, I did share that link you were talking about for the Ninja Motivation and Influence program. So you can see that right now okay. and get linked directly cool. to that from our Kudem podcast page. So. Uh, definitely take and a look at that. There is a payment plan on it to make it easier for folks. So there you go. Just saying. Just saying. You do have All to right. pay. You don't anyway. have to hike to the mountaintop, but you do have to pay. <laughs> and in this one, you know, you get email coaching or whatever. If this is not a live program, so uh, you know you can buy it and let it collect cyber dust on your uh, hard drive for ten years before you. Uh, put it into place and uh, weekly use that mantra, you know that mantra, Om, I've got to get to that and get back to training, Om, you know that mantra, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Such a dick. I'm on, I'm on that one all the time. <laughs> Om, I really got to do that, shit, I forgot again. <laughs> Yeah. It's anyway. It's right it's right there next to the other one which is oh I fucked up again. Um, <laughs> I fucked up again. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other one. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks again everybody for uh joining us on this episode of Kuden. Look for more <laughs> in the week between now and our next episode on our podcast page and uh, join in to get more notifications and early access as a Kuden Elite member. You can link up there, facebook.com slash Kuden Podcast. <laughs> oh, you can't. I'm sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew there was I – knew, I, never mind. I just knew it, man. I knew you wouldn't let me into the program. <laughs> it's only for the cool kids, man. <laughs> yeah, well – Get your ass and get your ass in gear and be one of the cool kids. Stop waiting right. for other people to decide that you get to be a cool kid. Change right. the game so that you're one of the cool kids and it's your group. There you go. That's the way to do it. There you go. That's right. Excellent. All right, everybody. Thanks again for joining us. Stay safe. We'll see you next time on Kudan. Thank you for listening to Kudan. The podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.